Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I started these conversations because life doesn't give us do-overs. So this is a space where we get a chance to reflect and tell our story again with more grace for ourselves and hopefully make us all better for having listened. This week, I'm talking with Natasha Nelson, chiropractor, life doctor, and fellow storyteller about her journey to wholeness and her new book, Finding Courage to Let You Out. Through her own vulnerability with her life story, Natasha will inspire you to turn struggle into strength so you can find freedom in your own life and the best version of yourself. I hope you enjoy her candor and spirit as much as I always have. All right, well, we'll just, we'll just get going. We'll just get going. <laughs> See where it goes. Make sure I have nothing in my teeth. Let's get <laughs> so I feel like we have been passing on the beach for a million years, and we knew our energies matched, yes. but until I read your book... I had no idea how much in common and the universal truth that ran through your story that would relate to mine. And I often feel that that is the gift we give to the the world when we are able to wrestle with our own story. And so I'm so excited to have you here for what I meant to say conversation. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy. I'm so excited to be here with you. And thank you for taking the time to read my book. Um, I didn't know... I didn't know how it would resonate because I didn't write it for anybody. I wrote it for myself. And that gave me the freedom to just write everything. And that's what I realized, you know, wow, there's a lot in there and so much. And There yeah. are so many places that we could take this conversation. And it was the best part of my weekend was finishing this book. And I'm a slow reader, but I took, took down every experience. And there was so much to relate to. So whether we go into you know, family and mother-daughter relationships, generational healing, like trauma, and then how to come through that in a healing way and honor our story without getting stuck in it. Um, our passion for volleyball, um, all the race relations, the... Everything. Everything. We'll go so anywhere. So in here. <laughs> but... Um, anywhere it goes, it goes, and it's fine with me. We'll just flow and let whatever come out, comes out. I love how open you are. So yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, to sh- start with, let's just take that relationship with your mom because it goes throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's so foundational to everything that you've come through, which it, you know our parental relationships are for all of us. But walk me through the inspiration mm-hmm. behind the book and how you how you wrestled with that relationship. Yeah. Um you know, I didn't start off with, I'm going to write a book. I had never had the intention or desire to write a book. Um, I started with, I just need to journal so I can write what's in my mind on paper to get it out. And I didn't, I start. you know, I had journals in high school and I stopped. And it wasn't until um, maybe about 10 years ago when I got back into writing because I realized as much as I have outlets with sports and things, I needed a place to really put all of my feelings into words and help process it. And so writing was my way. And what happened is I would start to write. And first I wrote in a journal. And then I would tear pages out and try to keep things. And then I realized I don't want to keep the journal. I just want to keep the tidbits of really good information. Because there's a lot of stuff in the journal that I remember going... Well, I don't know if I want somebody to read this. <laughs> I don't know if I want somebody to find this if I die. <laughs> Which, of course, is silly, but not really. But um, 
so as I started journaling and writing, I found that oftentimes I could write for sometimes one page, sometimes 20, but there'd be nuggets in there, but somewhere around the last page, there'd be something that was really insightful. And then I would look at it and go, God, that's pretty good. I want to keep it. So I would tear it out and save it and tear it out and save it. And I had enough where I started to go, hey, you know, this is kind of good. I think I want to put them, you know, in a collection and really it was I want to save them for myself. And then it turned into, I think I'm going to put these down on paper for my daughter. And then I went, well, I got to explain the context for it for her. And then it turned into, oh, yeah, well, if I'm going to write the story, I'm going to write it well. And I ended up hiring a writing coach, but I still wasn't going to write a book. I just wanted to learn how to be a better writer. Because in high school, my English teacher told me I was an awful writer and that I shouldn't write. So I stopped writing. And I always chose, it, it, it's amazing. I always, I, so I chose, um, anytime I could do a presentation or do an oral exam, I would, so I could avoid writing. So I went and hired a higher writing coach because I wanted to learn how to write again, right? And write. And she read the first like 20 pages of my writing. She's like, you're going to have to publish this book. And I went, what book? And I'm not publishing it. It's for me. <laughs> and she's like, no, there's so much in here that you need to share. And it was with her guidance that I went, mm, okay. And of course I meant in my head, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then after I started, I kept writing. I kept writing and writing. And I told my writing coach, I'm like, oh, this editing stuff, like, I'm not going to publish this. And she goes, oh, there are editors that do that. Yeah. You have the story and the content, they can make it all pretty. I said, well, great, have at it. And that's what made me say, okay, and I did it. So that's my long story. No, that's, but the, <laughs> so, but the yes. universal truth of that one, what I hear mm -hmm. is like that whole concept that we think we have to do everything for ourselves. Yes. Like, I have to wear every hat. I have to, and it, that came through in your story too, because as women, we're always thinking like, I've got to cover everything, right? So even yeah. just having one person come in and say, look, I'll take this off your plate, and you, it opens up like a sea of possibilities, right? Yeah. And, and out comes your book. And so much that relates with my mom is because I had watched her grow with me as I was growing up, doing everything. I didn't know that there were options of asking for help, you know, asking other people to help. It just didn't occur to me because I had never seen that. My mom was like, you figure it out, you do it yourself, you, whatever you need to do, you figure out how to do it. Yeah. And it was, I remember, when, so when my writing coach said, yeah, there are editors to do that. Yeah. It hadn't even occurred to me that that was an option and a possibility. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time when she said that, and I went, okay, then I guess. Right. Well, then now I can write this book because that part of me was taken off of another thing to do yeah. and a, another barrier that I was going to have to learn grammar, learn all this stuff that I'm like, oh, I don't have time for this. Yeah. And taking that off the plate just opened it up. And sometimes you don't even realize what's holding you back, right? Yes. Like it's hard to put your finger on what it is that yeah. But when, yeah, that, that's incredible. Yeah. And, it, and yeah, your mom, huh. it came through in the story how much she held and her reasons for why she held it. Do you want to like, talk about that a little bit? So, I think the theme with this book, uh, mother-daughter relationships are powerful and they're very tangled. Yeah. Um, the one with my mom was very difficult and 
well, what was really hard was realizing part of the difficulty is my mom was very much like making sure everything looked good on the outside. She was a single mom raising me in a time that was very difficult. I was born in the 70s. Um, not a little, not a lot of, you know, kids, mixed race kids. My mom had immigrated from France and she had only been here for a few years. And it was, she was very protective. You know, my dad, they were, they were together and then not together, but it was challenging. Um, and my mom was very strong. Like you just, you put yourself together, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you do what you have to do to survive. And that's what I did. And it worked until it didn't for me and ultimately for my mom too. And the, the challenge is that she never, we never spoke about anything. It was just, this is what you do and this is what you're supposed to do. And, um, you know, I start a lot in the book because I grew up with my mom. I never, ever had a doubt that she loved me. Never. There was not once I ever had a doubt. And I knew that she would give everything for me. She would lay her life on the line for me. I was never questioning that. The question always became for me is, I'm not sure she likes me. I don't think my mom likes me. Like, I know she loves me. I don't think she likes me. She doesn't really like me. But I couldn't articulate what it is or why until later on trying to under, understand that question. Yeah, and that power to conform, the power you felt to conform to a certain way of being comes yeah. through really strong in your book. And knowing you as, like, I can feel your energy, I think, from the first time I met you. Like, you're a very, like, emotionally available. Like, when I read your story, I, it, it was such... A powerful story about how you don't really know like we always say you don't really know what's going on behind this the scene yeah and like be yeah. kind because you never know what's the battles that someone's fighting yeah and your story was an absolute testament to that because yeah. as long as I've known you and I haven't known you well you have a giant smile on your face you like not for one second would I not see you as this profoundly positive volleyball playing mom who's just out crushing the world yeah that's what, I mean, and your mom taught you that yeah. in some ways. Yeah. But there was a part of you that was being starved. It was a blessing and a curse, yeah. I say, because I learned how to, like I always had a bright smile. Yeah. And um, often it was honest and genuine and authentic, like I'm happy. Yeah. But I also learned how to use that to cover up everything else that was hurting. And so through high school, through college, for a long time after, everybody has the same, like when they would meet me or talk about me, they would have the same kind of like, ah, she's always smiling, she's always happy. Like, yeah, because that's the image I made sure to show. I never showed anything else. I never talked about anything else. Nothing else existed in my world because it was just my burden, my problems to solve. I didn't want to talk about it as if um, like I was a victim of something like no like that's okay. It's my problem. I have to figure it out But I was always great at masking it with a big bright smile But because it was also my natural personality tendency you couldn't there was no difference like it was the same like I'm happy and if I'm not happy it'll look exactly the same Yeah, and that part that kept that you kept tucked away was kind of it was bumping up against you. Yes. 
so <laughs> as I read through your book, I've always said one of the things I tell myself in moments that are difficult is you're never going to, you can't create from a place of lack. And that place of lack came through in your story. So can you talk a little bit about what you felt growing up and even into adulthood? Yeah. Maybe uh, what that, you know, what, what you ran up against from that place of lack. Yeah. Um, that place of lack started really early, really young. And it started with, I probably, I must have been even as young as three or four, and I would be with my mom, and my mom was barely five feet tall, and like, oh, wow, <laughs> I know, her blue eyes and dark hair, yeah. and white, and, and I'd be with my mom, and we'd hear comments, and I remember, this is early 70s, and so people would stop and ask us, and ask, looking at me, like, well, what are you? And does she belong to you? And and there was such a I my mom didn't know what to say and would just we would kind of leave, just not answering any questions. But what it did is it made me start to wonder, like there must be something wrong with me because why would somebody say that? Like what are you? And why are you with her? And I remember one of the worst comments somebody made was, you know. Um, a white woman shouldn't raise a black child and somebody should take you away from her. And that was the start where the first time I saw my mom really like shut down around me to make sure because it was, it was made that comment and both my mom and I felt it as if it was real that somebody actually could possibly mm -hmm. take me away. And I think my mom and I knew that it was a possibility. And something about my mom and I was like, okay, it's her and I and nobody else. We don't trust anybody. We don't talk to anybody. We don't share anything about our lives with anybody because we just don't know who's going to try to harm us or separate us. And so that's how that all started. And it worked and did, but it was so many, you know, my grandmother was with us um, for a while and she moved here she came down from France and things in our home felt with my grandmother there there was some stability mm -hmm. you know so my grandmother was home uh, growing up with my dad in the house was very he was very violent mm -hmm. so my grandmother was the stable one for me and so when she passed though and it was it was shocking and it was my, my parents had been divorced by then my grandmother had left and then I was left really alone, and my mom didn't know what to say, what to do, she was working, I went to school, and I remember that was such a time of where I shut everything down in my life to just be like, I'm gonna go to school, my mom goes to work, I play sports, and nothing else matters. So emotionally, everything shut down, and I stayed that way for decades of work, or play ball, and yeah. shut down, and just put a happy face on. So it, there's like, I can't, there wasn't one thing, but it yeah. was just, it, over time, that hardened shell just got thicker and thicker, but the mask of being happy and show happy became very set. Yeah, and yeah. Your, your ability, that came through a lot, your ability to handle the schedule you were handling as, I mean, in high school, when, when you were talking about playing sports, working a job, doing your homework, basically caring for 
you're being a contributing member of a family, mm-hmm. but not from a child's position. You were yeah. the, the other breadwinner. Yeah. You were, like, the, yeah. to put that on. And I, I'm reading it just going, how does somebody that age, like, manage that much and keep smiling? Yeah. You know? And it's like there's that part where you manage because you have to. Yeah. But also, I didn't know any different. I knew yeah. friends that, like, my, my friends didn't have the same schedule. They had, you know, both parents. But they, like, we were in the same school, taking the same classes or taking the same sports. And granted, they weren't all doing the same things. And so it didn't, I just looked at it as, okay, well, I've got the time. I can, so I can play all the sports. And I had to work, so you just make it work. And there was just, I didn't consciously do it, but I know unconsciously I just went with, well, then I won't feel anything emotionally because there's no room or time to feel anything. And I just have to do my day and get through my day, and this is how it is. Yeah. And became very, very strict, very regimented, very focused, and very driven. Yeah. And driven because it was so much about get out of poverty. Yeah. That was the mindset. Driven, driven. to survive. Driven to survive and get out of poverty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that carried through all the way to yeah. your story from when you moved down here mm-hmm. and um, from Northern California. Yes. And yes. Um, that concept of, of like just starting your own business and and I, I could see the work ethic just, you know, go through, but I always have thought what we're able to do young, I kind of have a theory on whatever the midlife crisis is, I often think like we we have a well and it when it starts to overflow it there it seems to be around midlife that if we've been holding things back they come out in a certain way maybe they're trickling out over time but um, and you don't really in your book detail your age at certain points but there's a certain feeling of like the well like like something yeah. exploded yeah I just couldn't hold it anymore yeah, for me, it was when I got pregnant. Okay. And really, what hit me is, you know, working as a chiropractor and being very uh, much about the body. And, you know, I would always talked about you want to be able to feel physical pain. I would tell my patients this, I believe this. You want to be able to feel it so that you could tell me what hurts so I know how to help you be able to feel it. Okay. And I had stopped playing volleyball for a few years, and I was so excited to get back, and I started playing volleyball. And the first day I went back to play, I was like, oh, my God, this sucks. Like, it's hard. I can't jump. Like, I'm out of shape. Like, okay, I'll figure it out. I'll start working out. And the next day I was like, all right, I'm sore, and I don't feel so good, but I'm still going to work out and go play volleyball. And it was a week, a couple days of volleyball, and I'm like, I'm feeling worse. And then I go, oh, I think I have the flu. So I told the girls, like, I can't drink. I think I have the flu. And I went to the doctor. The doctor goes, do you think you're pregnant? And I was like, well, I could be. <laughs> the light bulb It on. didn't occur to me in that moment. And that was the first sign of, oh, my gosh, I am so disconnected from my body wow. that it hadn't even occurred to me that I actually could be pregnant. And that's really what started to open me up to, what have I been doing that I am so shut down that I didn't even realize I could be pregnant? Yeah. And that was the, the first door that opened for me 
Um, and I was in my late 30s, mid to late 30s there. And then by the time I had her, and that's when everything just started to open up emotionally. Everything opened up with, I don't want to work these hours anymore. I can't do this by myself. I don't want to do this by... All of the floodgates. Mm -hmm. All of them. Like, I, And not just the floodgates of me being a mom, but the floodgates of, you know, 30 decades of everything that I had stuffed away started knocking and pushing that door wide open. So I didn't have a choice. I was like, I guess I better figure this out and learn what to do with it. Yeah. And it is, I think there is a definite generational push, and this is why I've always been, I mean, since I went through my divorce, I, I look at how do we create these patterns, right? And what do we bring with us? And it's interesting to me to see through your story that you lived, you know, your mom, your grandma, and you were a little girl. And then I watched as your mom came back into the story and lived with you yes. and your daughter. And I was like, oh, look at that. And, and, but that feeling of overwhelm that comes when we think we have to handle everything ourselves and the way it shuts us down, um, that definitely comes through too. And I think as women, that is one of the things that Hold this back. Yeah, and you know, so much of the work that I do now talks about how much um, it's a coping mechanism mm -hmm. and how much I learned to cope with what was going on in my home growing up. There's, yes, there's a survival, yes, there's a need for discipline growing up, but there's also an element where it's it's also very comfortable to be very busy mm -hmm. and to have a full schedule and to not have time to feel or to think or to anything other than this is what I do and then check the boxes off in the course of the day. Yeah. And it became, you know, it's part of the, the survival story for me, but I also had to learn to break it. But I didn't want to give that up because there's a lot of things that are good about that. Like, See, what am I going to do? Not have a schedule and not have any discipline? And that doesn't like, work either. That doesn't work either. Yeah. So learning to navigate both of those is really what I had to learn. And it started for me with two, because when my daughter became a, you know, when she started to hit, you know, two, three years old, where I was trying to be like, okay, well, you're going to have to do some chores around the house. Yeah. I wanted her to be like, you need to be a part of this, you know, family. And I could hear my mom's voice in my head. And there were things that I was really trying to figure out how to consciously say without giving her the same kind of messaging. Yeah. So yeah. Did, you, did you arrive at some things that, because that can be a really shaming thing or, or working from that place of lack or like from sports, we learn like how to be part of a team, right? Mm -hmm. So was there any framing? So actually really what started, so my daughter was about um, four or five years old, somewhere around. And I remember I picked her up from like her daycare school and I was tiring her in the back seat and it was the end of the day and she was so tired. She was super tired. I was tired at the end of the day. And I don't even remember what she said or what happened and I was just like, no, we're not gonna do that or we can't do that. I think I said the word can't. I think it was like, oh, I can't do that. And she goes and she looks at me, she goes, well, you're a stupid mommy. Oh, and I slapped her. Oh. And you know, it was that moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just like my dad. And that's what made me click of, I had better learn how to deal with my daughter, myself, life differently, mm -hmm. because I'm gonna repeat the exact same patterns that my dad and my mom 
instilled. And I knew I didn't want to, but I didn't know what else to do. And that's when started my journey of really going back to school, um, you know, getting, getting, going to uh, University of Santa Monica. So I ended up getting my degree with a master's in spiritual psychology to really learn how to speak differently, to think differently, to understand those patterns so that I could, it was about how I could parent her differently than I had been parented. And what I realized is in order for me to do that, I had to go back to my parents and revisit all of those parenting things I didn't like and finally let go of feeling like there was any blame or shame or anger. Anger was a big one for me, rage. Um, Going back and revisiting all those to understand what happened, understand the how the connecting of the dots and but a really understanding why, why things happen, why things would bother me. And once I understood that, then the messaging or what I could say in those moments changed. Mm-hmm. But it's how I, di- it's how I speak to every- everything and how I talk is different because I'm listening differently. But more importantly, because I don't get triggered. I don't have the same triggers anymore. If somebody was to call me a stupid mommy now, I'd be like, hmm. Okay. Oh, you don't like me? Like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You don't like me. Like, it wouldn't trigger me anymore. So, and there was a lot, same thing about, so a lot of the book I talk about what it was like growing up biracial and how so much of, oh, so much people said triggered me because I, playing both sides all the time. And I always felt like I had to pick, you know, the hardest part for me growing up was choosing, like, if somebody's asking me a question, my mind would go to, where are they asking me? Am I supposed to answer from like the part of me that's white or the part of me that's black? Because oftentimes those two worlds would collide and they had opposing views from my mom's side or my dad's side. And I would be stuck in the middle feeling like, oh, I don't know which one to say. I don't know what to do. And so I would preemptively almost trying to figure out, well, what is it that they want to hear? Mm. So I'll give that answer. Mm-hmm. And then that's what I, that's the game that I learned to play young, really at a young age was, I won't say what I'm thinking or feeling. I'll just say what I think you want to hear from me. And that was my way of feeling like, okay, I'm not going to, you know, step on any toes. I'm not going to say anything that would make my mom look bad. And I didn't want to say anything that would make my dad look bad and make them upset. It was just, that was the game that was playing and that was the conflict that really was eating at me that was you know I was make sure I was too busy to feel anything yeah that was the internal conflict that I was like I don't want to have to feel it and so I'll stay busy and just say what other people want to hear and I'll put a smile on my face doing it and 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 then my daughter and then she comes around and she looks just like me so looking at her when she's you know four three Mm -hmm. five years old and it's like Oh my gosh, like I have to get clear on what I want to say to be able to share and be honest. Like, okay, well, what do I want to say? Like, I had to start with, well, what do I want to say? Which, ironically, is the title, (laughs) the reason that I came up with the title of this podcast is what I meant to say often becomes something so different after you've had time to reflect on it, right? Yes. And then how do you look at that without guilting and shaming yourself 
but going, this is part of the process in figuring out what I meant to say. Yes. Right? <laughs> and so a lot of times the, one of yes. my favorite question to ask is, and it happens when you look at your child, but what is the advice you would give to your younger self? Um, you know, on this side of life, yeah, you could look back and you know to make it easier. You know, that answer has changed over the last few years because now where I'm sitting, the only thing I would say to to my younger self is, be patient. You'll see how it all works out, and that it's going to be okay. It's like if I had heard that, there's something about planting the seed of hope that I could have carried with me to say, okay, it's the hard part, but it's going to be okay. I never heard those words. And that's, I think, was the hardest part to he to not know, like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I look now, and especially after writing the book, and then what I'm doing now with my work and when I'm speaking and sharing... And I can share my story and the parts of my story. And I get to see where I'm at now. I wouldn't want to change anything, which is what's crazy. There's so many times I thought growing up, like, I wish I could have changed this. And now I go, but all of those pieces got me here. Right. So hold, like, (laughs) you've been through physical abuse, emotional abuse, an eating disorder, um, I mean, there's racism, uh, gen- genuinely lacking a sense of belonging. Yeah. And you can sit here today and say, there's nothing I would change. There's nothing I would change. Yeah. Like, if you contrast that, and I have to take it here, if you contrast that with the stories that we're hearing in the world today, about all the things that are wrong, because it seems like every time we turn on the TV, there's something. All we're hearing about is what's wrong. What's wrong with America? What's wrong yeah. with people? What's wrong with choices that are being made? What's wrong with the way we're treating each other? And humans are so we're so wildly imperfect. Of course, there's so much out there that we can always work to be better at, which is where my yeah. be better concept. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you wrap where you're sitting today into that that narrative? Well, um, I had to hit the bottom, um, and I, sh- I mean, I share it in my book, and yes. I share it in my story. I don't want to give too much away, because it's honestly such a great Yeah, book, so. is, um, so when I finally, like, there was a lot of things that were changing, and, and my business was failing, and I knew I was in a place where um, it was probably going to, I was probably going to lose the business, and my savings, and my retirements, and everything. And there was a desperation, and I didn't know what to do. But there were so many other things collapsing in my life. And I remember, um, it was 2016. And I had, I, was, I had made a trip to see, you know, friends and family. And I didn't know it, but I knew it on the days as I was driving. I remember going, it worked out so well for me to see everybody. That it felt like I was saying goodbye to everybody. And that's part of, there was something in me that had this like, okay, well if I can't solve this problem, there's only one solution and one exit. Because what I know for sure is I was not going to leave my daughter without any family and without me. But I remember going, well if something happens to me, I'm going to take her with me. 
and I just remember driving on Highway 5 coming down. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, well, if I end it, like if I hop over this, this dividing mm-hmm. line, there's enough trucks that if it impacts the car, it'll kill both of us. And I remember going, okay, I could do that. And in that exact moment, there was a song that came off from Josh Groban. That was the signature song from school that says you raise me up. The song's called You Raise Me Up. Mm-hmm. And it started coming on and the sun was starting to rise and it was like pink and orange and yellow hues. And it was like, oh my gosh. Like everything in me just went, oh my God, no, no. Like, like that's not the option. Sh- like, you. okay, yeah. no. Like, and it was such a fleeting moment of like, I can't say for sure, like I really felt suicidal, but it was like a pseudocidal urge that felt like, well, if I have no other option and I'm not going to live with somebody taking my child from me, then that's the option I'll take. And in that moment, it was like, okay, but I don't have to do that. And so I remember pulling on the side of the road and bawling and she's asleep in the backseat and, and I drove home and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. I still don't have any answers. But in me felt, okay, I'm going to be okay. And that's when things also shifted. That allowed me to just... So that was the heart of really what came to how I got to be in this place where I'm at now is because I've been there. And I think part of being there was also allowing myself for that split moment to actually... And it's a weird place. I can't even describe what it is, but to actually say, okay, well, if that's my only option, then I'll take it. And in that moment, saying, yes, I'll take it was the exact moment that it came to me. And I was like, but I don't want to. And I've never had that feeling since. And I remember it was like so fleeting, but then everything became okay. And that's where the calm comes from because I had been in that darkness yeah. for that split mm-hmm. moment and then that higher power and that saw the grace yeah. the grace oh. that came through with this because with a sunrise and not just any sunrise like the oh. colors it was one of those because it was like on highway five oh, and all there are cows up uh-huh. there and, oh man my, that's like my, that's my area of the yeah woods. <laughs> like i would have pulled over in any other time because it was so beautiful and magical but i put that with the song and the moment in my mind of that fleeting thought, and it was just like, okay, I don't know what's okay, I'm but, good. By the way, that's also, I would say, otherworldly because most <sighs> people don't describe the drive up Highway 5 in the way you just described it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. But that is, and in your book, you wrestle with faith a lot. I do, I do, and, and, I still do, but not yeah. to the level I did and when I first started struggling at that moment because I recognized the higher power and a, and, and a God presence in that moment. Uh-huh. But my life, I had grown up without having any talks of God through childhood. And in my mind, I was like, God doesn't exist. And he couldn't exist because for me in childhood, I'm like, I'm in an abusive, physically abusive home. And I remember crying out to God to help my mom and I. Like I was hiding in, underneath my bed and in the corner of my closet going, well, he didn't help us, so he must not exist. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a private, a Catholic private, like junior high, middle school, high school that taught one component. 
And then my mom started to find God on her own, and we went to a Christian church. However, the Christian church and the Catholic church were at opposite ends, and they would fight in terms of, they would literally tell my mom, like, no, you, you the school would say, you know, Ugh, you can't have her in that, you can't go to that church if you want financial aid in our school. Mm-hmm. And then the church would be like, oh, you going to a Catholic school, that's the worst thing you could do for your daughter. And so my mom didn't really see, she just thought, like, it's going to be okay. And I remember going, yeah, well, I'm hearing two messages, so neither of them can be right, and so they must both be wrong. And the common thing between them was God, so, well, then God doesn't exist. And so my idea of faith was like, F God. <laughs> no, yeah. he does. He's not really doesn't not exist. Me. There's there, there's been he hasn't been here in my toughest time. So, f him. Yeah. And that was just kind of my attitude of like people would talk about God and as soon as they'd say the word, I'm like this. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. I, I checked out. Yeah. I would completely check out, and so I had to wrestle with my idea of God and what I would what I would you know define as God. And even to this day, there's times where I'm like, I think that's what I would call God. And then yeah. I go, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it definitely a higher power. It, it never was lost on me. Yeah. And I knew that from the very first day of chiropractic school mm-hmm. where we had to go into the cadaver lab. And we walked in the first day of the anatomy class and we see all the cadavers lying, you know, lying mm-hmm. down on tables. And I remember looking, and we were assigned one cadaver, and I just stared there, stared looking at this cadaver. And before doing anything, I just remember looking at this person and this body. And what I knew at the moment was the only thing different between this cadaver and me is this life force going through me. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still feel like sometimes that's when I'm when I'm. When I'm fighting with God, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm wrestling, I just come back down to, okay, well, I may not know who you are, and I may not trust you, and I may not even like you, but this life force is real. It's tangible. It's real. I can feel it. I saw it. I see it. Yeah. And that's what I always come back to and then kind of refine my faith from that place. Yeah. But it always starts with, all right, well, there's a life force, and it's in the plants, and mm-hmm. I'm growing like tomatoes. I'm like, there's a life force there. and and all of that, I can see that, and I go, um, I trust that. I live, you know, close to the beach. I'm at yes. the beach every day, even if I'm just looking at it for a few minutes because seeing the ocean reminds me, okay, there's a big life force. Yeah. And then every time I'm struggling with God, I'm like, I'm mad at you, but you're there. You're the life force, so yeah. I'll start there. Yeah. And that's what I always come back to. That's really, really beautiful, and I'm so with you on that because that, you can't argue with the energy. Yeah, And I think so often, like, religion puts it in one category where it's kind of just people and God. And yet, for me, it becomes so real in everything that we look at and the the relationship between everything. And when you realize how intricate that is, it's like, it's not, it's so much bigger. Once I see it, once I was able to connect, really connect and see the life force, then I might struggle with the terminology or really how to feel it or what I want to do with it. But then I realize, like, well, it's just there. Yeah. My ability to feel it or recognize it will shift and change. But every time I go and see the ocean, I'm like, it's just there. Yeah. 
the ocean does not care what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and not in a indifferent way, because that was the hardest thing I struggled with. For me, I thought, well, God was indifferent. And I realized, oh, it's not like God was indifferent, but that was my, and I look back at my mom's history, my dad's history, and through story, I'm like, oh, God was there. Both my parents made choices that were not in alignment with God and that energy and what she, they were supposed to do. Yeah. It took them some time. Yeah. You know, so that's what helps me. And I look at mountains. Yeah. I look at the stars. I look at the moon. And I look and I go, man, there's some really cool things. Yeah. It's all right. And yeah, just take it back to there. Yeah. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this chat as much as I am. For more inspiring conversations, go to BeBetterWithWendyJones.com. Because you clear, so you clearly have the spiritual part, and it does come through in your book. And the other two things I love about your education are, you have the chiropractic background, which is so body based, and then you getting your master's in spiritual psychology, you have the mind. Mm -hmm. So for me, you are in alignment with your knowledge on mind, body, and spirit, and how to align those things yeah. is so beautiful. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm such a huge. A lot of the work I've done, I'm, I, I'm always really intrigued by the way um, our biology, like our body and our cells, and how that aligns with our psychology. So our nervous system is such a delicate, I mean, figuring out how to, you know, respond instead of react quickly and all of the, so many of the things that you walk through in your book in, in real life situations, mm -hmm. but how that shapes our psychology and over time, right? So if you get stuck in, in a place where your nervous system, like as a, as a child, if you are being abused, like how, how we work through those situations and allow our psychology to grow and our, our minds to change. I don't think you can do that in just one place. You can't just do it in your body or just in your right. mind or just in your spirit. You have right. to get that alignment. So I feel like, and I, where I want to get to is where, where you've taken your life story mm -hmm. and what you're doing today. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, it's just the alignment of those th three things. Oh, so yeah. beautiful. So. I love the word alignment because I use it a lot, which, yeah. you know, it used to, it cracked me up because as a chiropractor, that's what I'm trained to do is to realign the spine. Yeah. You take the, the physical misalignments of the bones that are compressing on the nervous system to allow the body to function. And that was how um, I always just explained what I'm doing. Because chiropractic, if you, was a very, you know, can be very ethereal. People couldn't get it. And I have to tell you, I'm not going to say his name, but shout out to one of my very first patients who was, a, who was an engineer. Oh, God, he drove me crazy. Because he would ask so many damn questions. And <laughs> That's first, me, by the way, when I've been in So when I yeah. first started in practice, <laughs> I would, uh, like my schedule, I'm like, okay, like a new patient would take like 30 minutes, and I would do my report, take like 30 minutes. And it took me like two hours because he wouldn't stop asking questions. <laughs> and I kept like, okay, let me explain this, and let me explain this. And I remember first time when he left, and I was like, God, I hope he doesn't come back because I can't handle him like asking me this many questions. Yeah. And he came back, you know, and I was like, okay. And he was like, yeah, I want you to work on me. Like, you've explained everything, and I understand. I was like, okay. And I didn't know it at the time, but first of all, he became one of my best patients. Never missed an appointment, never, uh -huh. like, anything. 
but I realized the gift that he gave me is he forced me to learn how to explain what I do and explain it in a way that I was like, if this engineer can understand it and I can talk to him, I can talk to anybody. Yeah. So yeah, so I go back to a chiropractor is what I do is, you know, the physical bones that misalign and put pressure on the nervous system physically will alter the body's ability to function physically. And then now what I do is very much, I feel like the exact same thing, but instead of physical misalignments, I'm taking away the mental emotional alignments, the misalignments that are interfering with the nervous system from the emotional component that causes our bodies to <laughs> react and we, we react instead of being able to articulate what we want to say and you know whether it's dealing with conflicts or just having yeah. con conversations like communication skills they start with being able to process the the emotional misalignments that get triggered when people say certain things when we don't like certain things but really when we start to feel uncomfortable then you know it's like the nervous system goes into a hyper response yeah, it's that so fight or flight. it's that fight or flight or freeze yeah and so my work now is really working with people whether I'm in groups or one-on-one -on -one, it's always the same of finding where the misalignment is that was an emotional blockage where something happened that interfered with the nervous system and now once I take that off then emotionally everything can flow without it coming from a place of panic and anxiety or you know the fight triggering the fight or flight response yeah. and so yeah so I laugh because at the time I thought I might be leaving chiropractic and I'm gonna retire and now what I'm doing I'm like yeah I never never really left no I just kind of transformed the way that I work with people instead of with my hands it's now through my story and, and speaking so <laughs> That's always laugh. That's what makes me laugh. Connected. It's all it's, connected. And it makes me laugh yeah. when I see where I'm at and I go, I never left. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you just never followed left. your you just followed your path. Yeah. It's followed the path of whichever way you go. It kinda led me. So it's been it's been beautifully orchestrated in a way that I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't so, have imagined it. So cool. Well you're the, the generational healing that comes through in your book and then where you are today is is just honestly is one of those stories that just gives me hope because there's so much out there like I was saying that can make us get down and this is where I, I really believe the true healing is yeah. from generation to generation and person to person so that we feel that connection and that sense of belonging where in so many places in your book that that sense of belonging was lacking yeah. and that if we can create that between generations and between people, I feel like that's where the healing lies in yeah. this world. Uh, but it starts with your, myself. It, it started yes. with me first. I had to reconcile those two parts of me that I thought were separate because by believing that there were two separate parts of me, everywhere I went, I always felt like half of me was missing. So I never felt like I fit in. I was too dark to be white and I was too light to be black and so I never fit in and that's the belief that I had yeah. and then once I be caught to that place where it's like well yes I'm both but it's not like a divide of half it's like you know yeah, it's just all in there and, and yeah and you couldn't. Was, I couldn't see all of it together as all of it as yeah. beautiful the way it was all in one package it was always halved 
And once I did the work to find myself completely and whole, then I can go anywhere and feel like, well, I'm completely content. So I feel like I fit in everywhere, even if nobody likes me, <laughs> even if nobody appreciates it. I don't care because I feel it in me and like, well, I'm happy and I'm complete and I'm whole and I'm good. And I say that now and, you know, and I say it with a smile and it's not a smile like my mask smile, it's my real smile. It's like there's a, like, and I describe the difference because now when I smile, like I can see it in the pictures yeah. that my eyes light up. I was just going to say My that. eyes light up <laughs> when I smile now, which yeah. I, it's like my whole face lights up yeah. as opposed to when I was younger, it was a different smile. And I always, you know, people that know me, I go, you know, it's my real smile because there's times where I'm not smiling. I'm not afraid to be like, oh, I'm having a day mm -hmm. and today I'm not smiling. Yeah. <laughs> Some days I don't feel like it yeah. and I don't force myself to smile. I will always be kind. Like I'm not yeah. going to be rude, but people who know me, they'll know something's up. Yeah. I don't feel like smiling today. I don't even feel like talking today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Real. But that's me. That's real. Yeah. I'm not pretending I have to be anything different on any day. So. Which is such a load off. Oh, such right. a great feeling. Great. I don't. The best part is I'm not trying to figure out what other people want from me to figure out what I should say or do. I'm just like, listen, I wake up and I'm like, what is what matters to me? And not in like an entitled, selfish way, just a what's important. Like it really comes down to like my values, what's important, because then I create boundaries. And with that, I can share my boundaries and I can explain my boundaries. Yeah. And if you don't like the boundaries, well then that's okay. Yeah. Because the people who resonate with my boundaries really have the same ones anyways. Right. And so there's a mutual respect. Yeah. So all of a sudden my, you know, my circle gets bigger right. by having the boundaries than, I, than it did when I didn't have them anyways. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> just, it's so counterintuitive in yeah. so many ways, but it's the, that's the beauty of it. Absolutely. The things we learn by going through. <laughs> you know, and it is. Pain. And I look at my daughter, and uh, she's 13 now, and there's times where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just take everything in my brain, in my mind, and I want to be able to give it to her so she doesn't have to go through it. Yeah. And then I realized, yeah, but the only way I learned it was because I went through it. And that's yeah. where it's not just learning it, but it's the ownership of it mm -hmm. and the strength that comes in it and the confidence and the courage comes from that place of, but I experienced it and I know what it's like. And then so the things that matter, they matter. And they matter because there was a reason, not just because, you know, somebody yeah. told me. And you can't give her that I resilience. Know. Right? I mean, and that is one of the hardest I things know. as parents. And I mean we could do an entire episode on on that. <laughs> Maybe we will. Because that is it's yeah. one of the hardest things watching your child and knowing what you want to teach him and all but also watching him. Yeah. Go through pain. Yeah. So you'd rather take it yourself. I know. But it doesn't teach you oh, anything. The resilience and, yeah. and learning grit and learning, giving her the opportunity to feel uncomfortable mm. and also realizing that for me it's all about recognizing, okay, does she need me to teach her a skill at this level or does I need to give her a resource like a skill? I'll teach her but I have to give her the space <clears throat> to figure out how to use that skill and try it out. Yeah. And so there's times where I'm watching and I'm like, okay, I've taught her, I've said what she's supposed to do, let's see what happens. And sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, well then, yeah, figure that one out. And then there's times she does, I'm like, all right, 
great. <laughs> it's <laughs> a wild journey. It is, yeah. but watching her and realizing my role as a parent is just to teach her the skills the best that I can, but I have to let her stumble. I let, I let her, I have to let her feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. to the point where that's what gives her those boundaries and that's what allows her to create her own boundaries of, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Right. Well, she has to know what it's like to, you know, not do her homework the day before and then scramble the next day or, you know, yeah, feeling she was stressed, feeling, feeling stressed, where she's like, like unprepared. Yeah, or, where know. I would tell her, pack your bag and get everything the night before. And she's like, ah, and I'm like, okay, well, go ahead. And then <laughs> she'd forget her lunch and be like, can you bring it? I was like, uh, no, right. I'm sorry, no, no, because we talked about this. Totally. Your responsibilities. And then it was like one of my students, like I tell her this story and she laughs because she tells her friends too where um, she forgot her lunch. I made her, I make her lunch and right. she forgot it. Sometimes she'd forget. Sometimes I think she just wanted to get the hot lunch. And either way, it didn't matter because I would realize that. And I was like, hey, you didn't break, take the lunch that I made you. She's like, yeah, I forgot. And I knew that you weren't going to come and bring it to me. So I just got hot lunch. Mm. And I went, Okay, well then you owe me four dollars. Yeah. And she was like, <laughs> "What?" I was like, "I didn't give you permission to buy hot lunch, and I know that you just kind of forgot to take your lunch because you wanted hot lunch. Well, then you can pay for it, so you can give me my four dollars back." And she was so upset, and yet she didn't forget her lunch after that. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to be able you... to speak up and learn what you what so, you yes, need to say. It is, and so, yeah. but, and I think about. I, I said it to her like with a stern and a little bit of a laugh, but I still made her give me my the four dollars because yeah. I wanted her to learn and recognize what was going on yeah. and see it and what it uh -huh, yeah. and realize because now I've, she's noticed things and patterns with her friends and people that she had been around and she was like, hey, wait a minute, that's what they were doing. I was like, oh, see, yeah. and she's like, yeah. So learn. there's the resilience that I see in her, and I just there's times I'm like, okay, yeah. okay, doing something right. It's the best. <laughs> it, it, so it, cool. I mean, as 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 scary and crazy as it gets, it's the best. Yeah, movie. it is, and and it's it's what the you know yes, I'm her parent, but what she brought to me and forced me to have to look at and grow and evolve and become the person and the parent that I am now is because of her. So it's such a, you know, someday she'll realize it and understand how much she taught, like she's yeah. the one that taught me because oh. she forced me to go through it and have to learn how to do it and do it differently than how I was raised. So, yeah. oh yeah. Well, all of that comes through beautifully in your book. Uh. I highly <laughs> encourage it to anybody. Um, so what, where can people find you? How can you help them, and where do we go from here? Oh, gosh. So, uh, thank God, being here, just sharing, and sharing my story, the more, and you know, getting able to speak and give it life. There's a sense of, um, it allows me, to, there's like a respect that comes for the work that I've done, the work that of everybody who's worked with me, and coaches that I've hired, the school I went through, like all of the effort I put into, like there's a level of respect that goes into being able to share what I do and my story. So uh, my book can be found on Amazon. Okay. It's uh, Finding Courage to Let You Out. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Natasha Nelson. 
and on Instagram at Natasha Life Doctor. Okay, we'll put all. Of so we'll put it on. Yeah. Too. So Life Doctor came up because of I always looked at it myself as okay, doctor of chiropractic. But I was not so like I'm a doctor. I couldn't I couldn't hold that like pull that off. It didn't work for me. I mean I wore like polo shirts and shorts to work. You know it's like. <laughs> And then as a life coach, but I felt like, well, I was more than that, too. So I kind of, you know, blended those, and I heard the term life doctor, and I was like, that's what it is. That works. That works. I it's love it. It's all that alignment. I'm telling it's you, It's all the work. alignment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I share a lot there, and uh, always posting different things about my story and what to do with it. Because ultimately, I think in the simplest term of what I do is I help, I help, I teach people how to deal with their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, is how to feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. without forcing yourself to feel like it's fine or make it go away. Because you can never make your feelings go away. You need to feel them and process them. But it's different from feeling your feelings and acting them out. And it's not about feeling your feelings to make other people make you feel better. It's take responsibility for your feelings and handle your business and do what you need to do, not in a strict discipline they don't exist but it's you know feelings are there because they have information mm -hmm. they are guiding us there's information to take from our feelings when they come up yeah. and so when we learn to how to identify what the information is you'll find that it shows up in your intuition that can save your life it'll show up as divine guidance of like when you talk to people because you felt it but it'll just show up as how you speak to people and how you process like when things are uncomfortable. Yeah. It's usually stuff inside of you that just needs to be handled and dealt with. Yeah. So it's learning and that's ultimately what I do. Right. And, and so and you can come you, you speak live to groups on, on this? I do. So I do different um, if I'm speaking in different places I'll post it. But I do a um, I do a course, I do like on Zoom, I'll do like the Zoom courses and life, so you can find yeah. me online, um, variety of different, a lot of different things online, so okay, well, we'll, we'll post them, post them all up, they'll yeah. be attached to here, okay. um, where people can find me, but ultimately now you can find me, um, so the book, yeah, Finding yeah. Courage to Let You Out, yeah. yay! It's <laughs> a great read. Thank you. Thank um, you so yeah, much. Yeah, I don't say, I just, I just, I would encourage I think my one message is encouraging anybody who's feeling uncomfortable and feeling in a lot of pain that it's going to be okay and to reach out and ask for help. Yeah. Because what I found is when I started to say okay and ask for help, not what people will help is people want to help. Yeah. But you have to be clear on what it is you need help with and then ask for that and yeah. people will help when they can yeah and accept and be willing like being open Absolutely. to accept the help be clear on what you need help with yeah. and then being willing to accept help when you need it so but i just encourage people to realize like your story matters you know and what you've been through matters and not to hide it not yes. to not to hide behind it or feel embarrassed by it and certainly not to feel ashamed by anything that you've been through because it has value and it yeah. matters. So. And when you let it out, it brings you through to such an amazing Oh, place. it's such a, yeah. being on this side of it, yeah. oh, it's such an amazing place to be. So, oh yeah, come come on this side. Yeah. It is yeah. so much more fun. Right. <laughs> I promise you it's more fun and better, but you got to get through it. 
to appreciate the other side of it. Yeah. So definitely. Oh, thank you so much for doing this today. Oh and my goodness. Are you I kidding? There's much more to come. There is. Thank you for breaking in the new studio. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's fun and it's beautiful and it's like everything just, I look and there's like, my heart just explodes because I, I can feel you in it, in all of this and everything that you're creating and you're doing and it just, oh. Like it brings me to tears. I cry. I cry a lot. Oh, I, I know that one too. Yeah. <laughs> For as much as I smile, I yeah. cry a lot too because it's it, they're tears of joy of seeing somebody's soul and their heart coming to life and coming to fruition and like tangible things. It's Thank really you. cool. So doing great, Wendy. So proud of you. So proud of you. So thank you so much. What an honor to be here with you. I can't wait to see you back on the beach soon. Oh yeah. A couple days you'll see me there. (laughs) A couple days you'll be there with us. So until later, (laughs) until later, until next time. Thanks for joining us for the, what I meant to say podcast. For more real conversations like this one, come on over to the Be Better community at www.bebetterwithwendyjones.com, a place for athletes and parents to grow and find meaning behind what we do every day so that we can be strong on our own and better together.